So we're in this series called You Are Here. And uh, that sign, as I told you uh, last weekend, you are here, really the purpose of that sign is to help you understand how to get from where you are to where you want to go. And I believe there's a, a, a parable that Jesus told that tells us how to get to the next step in our journey with God, and that it also tells us the pitfalls and how the enemy's going to come against us. I, I also used a, a survey that we took about seven years ago here at Gateway Church, and there were four groups of people we found in that survey, 525 churches, if you weren't here last weekend, 525 churches took the survey, about 180,000 people, and it showed that uh, attending church, there were four uh, groups of people, and we talked about the first group last weekend, and we're going to talk about the second group this weekend, and that first group were what we, the people, we called it, who were exploring God. So if you weren't here Last weekend, or if you're still taking notes and you want to remember this, I was asking someone today about it, and they said, yeah, you, you talked about um, GC, BC, CC, AD, and I said, no, you need to remember what these are. So anyway, exploring God, uh, and then the cross, and then these are people beginning in God, these are people close to God, and these are people God-centered. And we put a word over each of them fellowship, and then the, these are people who've entered now into a relationship with God, and that's what we're going to, that's the title of this week's message, relationship, uh, discipleship, which we'll talk about next weekend, and then uh, lordship, people who really are walking in the lordship of Christ. I, I, I told you last week how Michael Jr. sent me that picture, and he was at another church speaking. When he got back, he watched the message online, which is what I want everyone to do if you miss a, a weekend. And uh, he sent me a text. He said, when I was watching this and thinking about the attacks of the enemy, he said, I was thinking that uh, the enemy is always trying to get us to abandon ship. Isn't that good? So, uh, by the way, uh, God will never abandon you. I just want you to know that. He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. But if you abandon ship, uh, you can drown. <laughs> you, you can get eaten by a whale. All right, so uh, over, over all of these is another G that we said growing, because everyone's growing in God, even if you're, uh, you know, God-centered. And then we talked about that we found from this survey there was one truth that people chose to believe when they moved from exploring God to beginning in God, and do you remember that, what that truth was? It doesn't count if you say it after I write it. Uh, grace. <laughs> and then these people moved from this group because they chose to believe that God's Word, I write like a doctor, don't I? <laughs> Actually, it's, you can see it better than Okay, so God's Word is the final authority in life. These people chose to believe the truth of giving, that they should give their life away for the gospel or for the kingdom of God. Everyone remember this? Okay, so Mark chapter 4 talks about these four groups of people. Um, and I want us to just, before we get into Mark 4, I want to read you a scripture that I think shows these three movements. 
all right? I, I absolutely love this. There are three movements, and here's a scripture I think that shows you all of them. Revelation chapter 12, watch the three movements. Verse 11 says, and they overcame him. This is, this is all the parables talking about overcoming Satan. Watch, by the blood of the Lamb, that's grace, and by the word of their testimony, that's God's word, our testimony is that we were uh, in, a, in a pit, a horrible pit, and he raised us up out of the miry clay, set our feet on a rock, put a new song in our mouth, and many will hear it and, and trust in the Lord. Our testimony is God's word. And they did not love their lives to death. They were willing to give their lives away for the kingdom of God. Do you see that? So there are the three right there. That's how you overcome the enemy, God's grace, God's word, and giving. All right, so Mark chapter 4. Uh, look at verse 16 and 17. This is the second group, those beginning in God. It says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, I want you to notice, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, I want to remind you that what I feel like from this parable, the misconception that I had and that many people have, is that this is talking about four groups of people, and three of them are bad, and one is good. One of these groups is good. But that's not what it is. It's that all four of these people are in a process, and this is the way the enemy attacks them. And so, when we see this, I want you to know that Satan is trying to attack you. So I have two points this week so that we understand, and that is the first one is this, what's Satan's plan? What's Satan's plan? Well, all four of these groups, and, and if you remember last week, we talked about that it says Satan comes immediately and steals the word that was sown in their heart. This says when persecution for the word's sake arises, this talks about other things, pull people away from the Word, choke the Word, and this talks about people who accept the Word, believe it, and obey it, and, and bear fruit. Here's my point. It's always the Word. It's always God's Word. So it's very simple what Satan's plan is. It's to keep you from accepting and believing the Word of God. It's to keep you out of the Word of God. That's what he's trying to do. It's very simple. Now, um, he tells us something here. And when I was beginning in God, I saw some things in the Word that caused me to be hungry for the Word. So I want to show you some of those things because I think it will make you hungry for the Word because if I can get you in the Word, I can get you to keep growing in your, in your relationship with God, no matter where you are, even if you're God-centered, all right? So, Mark chapter 4 again, look at verse 4. Jesus is talking now. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. The birds of the air. Verse 15 says, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So, Jesus, Jesus now is talking. He says, the birds of the air come. They said, Lord, would you explain that to us? He said, it's Satan. The birds of the air 
represent Satan. Now, you need to understand when the Bible talks about Satan, it's not simply talking about the person of Satan. It's talking about the work of Satan. And one-third of the angels fell with Satan. He's a fallen angel. So he has these fallen, disembodied spirits that do his work. So it could be talking about when it says birds of the air, demons. You know, sometimes I remember this guy telling me, Satan was really attacking me last week. Satan did this. And he said, Satan came and told me this. And I don't mean, I didn't mean in my thoughts to belittle him, but I remember thinking to myself, I don't think it was Satan personally that was attacking you. Uh, you know, six, six and a half, seven billion people on earth, and Satan personally is attacking you. What I, I do believe, though, is that Satan's angels, Satan's messengers were attacking him. You see what I'm saying? So Jesus did this interchangeably also. He would say, Satan does this, but it could be Satan's messengers, the work of Satan. So here's the thing that hit me, that got me so hungry for God's Word when I first got saved, and that was symbolism in the Bible. Types and shadows. Jesus said the birds of the air, and they asked Jesus to explain it, and he said, well, that represents Satan. That represents the work of Satan. That represents the demonic spirits. It's amazing when you see this. Now, I want you to think about something. I'll ask you a very simple question, you can answer me in all the, all the campuses, and you can answer me out loud. It's very simple. Did Jesus speak in parables? Okay. Do you remember Jesus also saying this? In John chapter 5, he said, I don't do anything unless I first see my Father do it. Whatever the Father does, I do. You remember that? Okay, did Jesus speak in parables? Okay, when did he first see his Father do it? (laughs) All through the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament's true. It is completely true. But if you haven't seen this before, there is a lot of parabolic language, symbolic language in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 78, 2 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will open my mouth in a parable. Uh, Let me show you some parabolic language. Uh, Ezekiel 30, verse 21, this is the Lord speaking, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, now listen to me. God never broke his arm, literally. He was speaking symbolically. symbolically. He, he said, I've broken his power. But he said, I've broken his arm. But he, he didn't mean he'd broken his physical arm. He meant he'd broken his power. See what I'm saying? So when I started seeing this, it blew me away. Now remember, Jesus says in Mark 4, the birds of the air. And then he translates it, that means Satan. That's what that means. Okay. Watch this scripture and watch the context in which birds are used. Revelation 18.2 says, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Notice the context. Demons foul spirits, birds. I'm telling you that there are some times in Scripture that birds represent demons. Now, again, don't take this literally. I'm not saying if you have a a parakeet, it's a demon, okay? It may have a demon. I know pets have been demon-possessed before. 
I told you in the Free Indeed series, my son had a dog named Luke, and I told him, that that's son, that's short for Lucifer. That dog is demon-possessed. And he came to agree with me after a while, and then he gave it to a wonderful family here in Gateway Church. <laughs> and, um, and they shot it. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Please don't get mad if you're an animal lover. I'm, I love animals, so I'm just joking, okay? Um, I love animals. They taste great. I'm just joking, okay? I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Please, please. Can't imagine the hate mail I get sometimes from just little jokes, but um, anyway, they did not shoot the dog, okay? They gave it to another family. Actually, 42 families have owned the dog now. Um, okay, so I'm not saying that birds are demons, but here's a verse in Revelation 18. What are you going to do with this verse? It says, Babylon, when it falls, becomes a habitation of demons, foul spirits, and birds. Jesus said, birds of the air steal the seed, the word. They said, what does that mean? He said, That's, it, it, that represents Satan. You see? So when I first got saved, when I started seeing that there were spiritual symbols, spiritual types and shadows, I'm not even talking about allegory, I'm talking about spiritual types in the scriptures, it caused the scripture to come alive to me. God was warning the people uh, in Leviticus, and he said, listen, if you walk with me, these things are going to happen. But if you walk away from me, this is going to happen. And here's one of the verses. Actually, this is Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, verse 26. He said, your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. And I remember when I saw birds of the air, I remembered Mark 4. And I thought, I wonder... If that's not just something I read and think, okay, that's Israel years ago, thousands of years ago, but if I walk away from God, does that mean I'm opening up to the birds of the air? And Jesus himself told me what the birds of the air are? You see what I'm saying? So uh, now, this verse says birds and beasts. Uh, Forty-four times in the Old Testament, birds of the air and beasts of the field are put in the same verse. Forty-four times. Uh, so I, when you also look at beasts of the field, you'll see, I think it's clear they represent, can represent demonic forces, clear. For instance, I'll show you a scripture that talks about sheep and shepherds, and no one, there is no one, when they read this scripture, would think that it's talking about literal sheep and literal shepherds. God says, I'm upset with the shepherds. They're not feeding my sheep. Okay, he's not talking about literal sheep. He's talking about pastors and people. All right? But here's the problem. It also talks about the beasts of the field, and all of a sudden we think that part's literal. Let, let me show you scripture. Ezekiel 34, verse 5 says, So they, this is picking up on the sheep, the sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. In other words, the enemy came in because they weren't taught the word of God. See, um, it's amazing to me, again, people say, uh, now sheep there, that's talking about God's people. Psalm 100, verse 3, we're the sheep of his pasture. That's talking about God's people. Shepherd, that's talking about pastors. Beasts of the field, that's talking about lions and tigers. Well, how come the others have a spiritual meaning and that doesn't have a spiritual meaning? So I'm telling you, this is what got me, one of the things that got me so excited to read, 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 read God's Word. I'll show you another thing. Beasts of the field, again, I could show you 
I could show you many, many scriptures on it, but obviously I wouldn't have time. But here's another one where I think it just jumps out at you. Watch this. Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent. Now stop just a minute. Who's the serpent? How do you know? <laughs> well, you say, well, we just know. Okay, well, that's, that's good, but if you're going to assign uh, a meaning to a type and shadow in Scripture, you need to have a verse. Okay, so now I didn't tell you guys I was going to do this, but go to the next verse, and then we'll come back. Revelation 12, 9 says, the great, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Okay, so we know, and of course, 2 Corinthians 11, same thing. We know as, the, as Satan deceived Eve, my concern is that he would deceive you as well. Okay, all right, so go back now. Watch, see if there's another spirit. See, here's the point about, don't, don't go back yet. Here's the point about Genesis 3. When it says the serpent, none of you think of a snake. You might think of a snake, but you know it's talking about Satan, right? You know that. So you say, oh, it's talking about Satan. Okay, how come there's not another spiritual type in that verse? Watch this. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. But the serpent is talking about Satan. So is it possible he's saying Satan is the most cunning of all the fallen angels? See, these are things that jumped out at me when I was beginning in God that I started reading the Word hours every day, hours. And you have to understand that this is what helped me then to move from this group to this group because God's Word got in me. That's what I'm telling you. Okay, when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted, uh, was Satan there tempting him? Very simple question. Was Satan there tempting him? Yes. You think any of the demons were there? <laughs> this is the Son of God. The angel showed up at his birth. The wise men came. This is the Messiah. And some people say, well, Satan didn't know. Oh, he knew. <laughs> he knew. He's been, he'd been talking to Jesus since the beginning of time. He knew who the Son of God was. He knew. Okay. So, do you think there were any demons there? Okay, watch this. And by the way, do you know that there were angels there also? So there were good angels there. Were there any fallen angels? Watch this verse. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. It says Satan. It says the angels and he was with the wild beasts. Why would it tell us that he is with the lions and tigers and bears and like that would bother Jesus who could shut the mouths of the lions? As if he would be afraid that he's going to be run over by an elephant. I know there weren't elephants in Israel, but now he is with the wild beast, the demonic principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, and spiritual hosts of wickedness. And all hell was coming against him in that wilderness. So these are some of the scriptures. Let me show you two more scriptures that hopefully, the only reason I'm doing this, I want to get you so hungry for the Word of God that you'll study and read the Word of God, because this is the only thing that will help you grow in God. Um, Isaiah 4.1 says, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, 
saying, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Now, didn't that verse minister to you? That's one of those verses you read before you go to bed and you close your Bible and don't have any idea what you just read. Unless he who has spiritual ears to hear, let him hear. Unless you've been studying the Word of God and you know that women represent churches in the Bible. Isn't the church the bride of Christ? Right? And there are seven churches. The number seven jumps out at you because there are seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, two and three. And most theologians would believe that those churches represent the end-time church. Now watch this. He says, in that day, and when you read uh, in Scripture in Isaiah, it says, and in that day, many times it's referring to the end times. Seven women are going to take hold of one man. So could this mean that churches, seven different types of churches, are going to take hold of one man, Jesus? But they're going to say, but let us eat our own food. In other words, let us teach our own Sunday school classes. And let us wear our own clothes. In other words, let us have our own form of righteousness because we're clothed with his righteousness. But let us still be called by your name to take away our reproach. We still want to be called Christians, but we'll have our own form of righteousness. And we'll teach our own lessons. But we still want to be called Christian. It makes a whole lot more sense to me than Seven women marrying one guy. Because women are smart. <clears throat> They're not going to put up for that. <clears throat> okay, let me show you one more verse. Leviticus 26, 26. says, when I've cut off your supply of bread. You ought to be thinking right now what bread represents. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When I cut off your supply of bread, and you've walked away from me, this is what this is talking about. When you walk away from me, I'm going to cut off your supply of bread, your, your supply of the revelation of God. Ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. And they'll bring back your bread by weight, and you'll eat it and not be satisfied. Remember, this is a spiritual book written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings. Is it possible he's saying, when you walk away from me and you don't accept my form of righteousness, and you don't want my word taught in your churches, I'm going to cut off your revelation. And when I do that, lots of different churches, 10 different churches, they're going to prepare your lessons in one place. They're going to prepare your bread in one oven. They're prepare your Sunday school lessons in one, at one printing press, one place. And some of you have been in churches like this, and they'll bring it back to you, and they'll measure it out by weight. They'll only give you two verses a week, and you'll eat it, and you won't be satisfied. Are y'all here? This is, this is good preaching. If you don't know what good preaching is, this is good preaching. I'm trying to tell you there might be a couple of things in this book that you don't know and that I don't know because I still read it every day. And I see things in this book every day I've never seen because it was written by a genius. And the more I read this book, the more I grow. You want to know what Satan's plan is? To keep you out of this book. If he can keep you out of this book, he can keep you 
from growing in God. So that's Satan's plan. Here's point number two. What's God's plan? Well, if you look there in Mark 4 again, verse 20 says, these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. So uh, It's also in Matthew and Luke, remember the same parable. It's, one says, understand it. One says, believes it. And another says, believes it and keeps it, obeys it, puts it to practice in his life, and then bears fruit. Well, it's real simple. God, God's word, God's plan for your life is that you'll get in this book, believe it, accept it, put it into practice, and you'll bear fruit. Marriage, family, health, business, every area of your life, you'll bear fruit. This is the seed that produces fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. So he wants us to get in the Word of God. Now, let me give you just another little analogy here. We talked last week about friendship. We said these people, God's your friend, best friend, spouse, person you'd want to live with the rest of your life, die, die for, okay? What about school? Uh, these are, again, these people haven't even come to the cross yet. Love them, but they haven't come to the cross yet. Okay, these people, it's like grade school. Most of the work that you do is in class. Most of the study that people do who are beginning in God, uh, it's when they come to church, they learn about God, they attend classes, they think that now we all need to keep going in our continuing education. But that most of it, it's like grade school. Not much work is outside of class. When I was in grade school, uh, there was not a lot of homework. And I remember like kindergarten, they didn't tell me, color three pictures before you come back tomorrow, you know. I did it in class, okay. This would be like high school. There's more work outside of class. You gotta do more work outside of class so you, you learn. This would be like college. Do you remember what the professors always said to us in college? I don't care whether you come or not. They didn't care. You, you paid your money, you can lose it if you want to. And, they would, and then many professors would say something like this. If you don't do three to four to five to six hours of work outside of this class for every hour you're in my class, you're not gonna pass. Do you remember that? And I remember they said this to us, the, the, the onus is on you if you want to learn. Now, I just wanted to show you something that I thought of this, that the onus over here, the onus is on you. It's on us. Yeah, thank you. I wanted someone <laughs> to say that was a good one because I figured that out all by myself <laughs> this week. If, if we're going to grow in God, as you keep going, it's on us. The responsibility is on us. Listen to me. One hour a week in church is not enough for you to grow in God. You're going to have to read the Bible yourself. You're going to have to come to equip. You're going to have to get in a small group. You're going to have to go through freedom. You're going to have to go through stewardship classes. You're going to have to, if you want to start growing in God, you're going to have to start doing more hours outside of class than inside of class. That's the point. And God wants us to be successful. Now, Psalm 119 is a psalm that talks about your precepts, your statutes, your commandments, your laws. All of those are synonyms for the Word of God. They're all saying, when I get in the Word, then you help me to do this. You help me grow in wisdom when I get in the Word. But I want you to notice something. Remember we said last weekend, and it was shocking to all of us, it's still shocking to me, that Satan can steal the Word out of your heart. Well, I, there is a way, there is Scripture that he can't get to. I want to show it to you. Psalm 119, verse 11, you know the verse. Your Word, 
<laughs> I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden it. How, how, do, you, how do you hide God's Word in your heart? Simple. You memorize it. You meditate on it. I don't, I don't have time. Joshua 1, Psalm 1, the man who meditates on the Word of God is like a tree planted by the water. Uh, I'm going to meditate on the Word. I want you to meditate on it so that you can do it and be prosperous in everything that you do. God wants us to get in the Word. When I was a young man uh, and got saved, I got saved at 19 in a motel room out of drugs and immorality and a, a bad, bad, bad life. Uh, we were talking last week you know, with some of the friends I grew up with, and, uh, you know, one of the guys uh, actually came up, and I, I didn't even know him in high school. He said, what year did you graduate? And I told him, he said, that's when I graduated. And I said, well, I was in drugs. He said, I was in drugs too. Then we realized, that's why we don't remember each other. But after I got saved for a few years, I, I, was grow, I was beginning in God, I remember one day thinking, because I was still having difficulty, once I got saved, I never went back to drugs, but immorality, the, the stronghold of lust was so in me, and that's why free indeed, that's why you, you need to understand how to get free from things. But I remember thinking, God, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I, I hear I've already, I've been saved, but I just, I just you know, God, am I ever going to make it? I'm ever going to make it. And it was Satan trying to get me to back up. And I remember the Lord saying to me, have you read the Word today? And I thought, no, I haven't. He said, go read the Word. And I was reading through the Bible. I was at Psalm 119. And I was reading through Psalm 119, and I came to verse 9. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your Word. And I memorized that Scripture. How can a young man cleanse his way? Because I had a dirty way. And God said, you can cleanse it. You just keep renewing your mind with the Word of God. I want to show you one more scripture and tell you one more thing about hiding God's Word in your heart. Most of you know last April, I went to Australia, and, and they gave me some migraine medicine that caused internal bleeding. It was internal bleeding over a major artery. Uh, in less than 24 hours, I lost a third of my blood. And they said in a couple more hours, I would have died. I was bleeding to death internally, and I didn't know it. When I got to the hospital, I passed out in the emergency room waiting room. And uh, I told you last April, by the way, if you're ever in the emergency room and they're taking a long time, just pass out. They just, <laughs> you go right to the front of the line, they take you right back. So I'm in the hospital that night. Debbie could not stay with me. She had to go back to the hotel. And I'm all alone and I can't sleep. Whatever they've given me, I can't sleep. And these words, and death, blood, having a blood problem. I'm struggling with a blood issue. And I remember just getting very depressed. And I remember thinking, I, I need the Word. But I didn't have my laptop with me, which is where my Bible program is. I didn't have my Bible with me. Because when you go to the emergency room, it's an emergency. You know, you're trying to get there as quickly as you can. And so I didn't pack anything, I just went. And so I started quoting the scripture that I'd memorized. And I did this for hours. And I remember then thinking about what scripture can I remember from Genesis? What scripture can I remember from Exodus? What scripture from Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth? I started going through. When I got to Ezekiel, 
I thought of a scripture. And then I remembered, I don't know why I had not remembered this, that I had my phone and I have my Bible on my phone. I just had <laughs> not even thought about it. It's the drugs, you know. So anyway, <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh, I have my Bible on my phone. But I really think that God kind of blinded me to that so I would remember. I would read it from my heart. But I remembered a scripture in Ezekiel 16, and I got my phone, and I looked it up. I just want you to see if they, if you were struggling with a blood issue, and they had spoken that you could die, just see if this scripture might encourage you. Ezekiel 16 verse 6 says, and when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. This is how you overcome the enemy. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every week we ask God the same question. Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? And I know he says lots of different things, but one thing he could be saying to all of us is, have you read the Word today? Are you reading the Word every day? There are many times when I will have that thought because of some early morning meeting or something, oh, I haven't read the Word today. And I'll make sure and read some before I go to bed. Because Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Is it possible that that has a spiritual meaning as well? That God has a word from heaven for you every day. I want you to get hungry for God's word. I want you to be people of the word. You already are, but I want you to continue to be people of the word. We want to pray for you every weekend we end our services this way we have one more worship song and if you need prayer for any area of your life any area of your life i want you to come and let us pray for you no matter which campus you're attending if you're in an overflow room at the front of every campus the front of every overflow room we have people who are members here who've been members for a while been through training love you want to do this they haven't been recruited. They volunteered to do this. They want to pray for you. So if you are going through any type of a difficulty, I was even thinking about the health issues that could be this weekend as I talked about my own health issue. And you need prayer. If you need to give your life to God, whatever your need for prayer is, there'll be other people coming. Don't ever be embarrassed. You won't be the only one. But if you need prayer in any area of your life, as soon as we stand up and sing, begin singing this worship song, you come to the front and let us pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll give courage to every person that needs prayer for any area. In Jesus' name, amen.